This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, Jonathan Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Of course, uh, you are listening to this on a Monday, which means you are listening to this with my co-host, the one and only Jeremy Cohen. Jeremy, I ask with trepidation, as I have done <laughs> with more and more trepidation as the as the months, the weeks and months go by, uh, how are you doing? I'm okay. You know, I'm actually back in the city for the first time since mid-March, and it's night and day. You know, I mean, for those of you who have been in the city, respect. I, It's tough. Just, um, It's a weird feeling because I, I'm not really accustomed to seeing people just casually walking down the street without masks on, if I'm being honest. But Hopefully everyone who is in every situation is doing fine as I, as we usually discuss, but um, yeah, it's just been, it's been a, a different experience and it's weird seeing the city quieter. I was driving down the street and on a Saturday afternoon, it's supposed to be beautiful. And it was, you expect to see all these people flooding the streets and cars and it was a ghost town. The Apple stores were completely boarded up other oh, places wow. as well. It's just, it's a very different experience. So um, it's, it was an interesting thing for me to see, and hopefully everything improves. But I don't, I don't know how how quickly that'll happen. I've um, <laughs> I've given up thinking about the the COVID. At all of, I mean, I'm like I've I have continued to do my part, and our family has continued to do our part, and we will continue to do so, probably to the point of absurdity when a lot of other people have have started to. Um, relax uh their um level of urgency um like they're doing in florida right now which it kind of relates to the nba i guess but we, we don't have to get too deep into that um yeah man i it's who the i, I the next couple of years are just going to be gonna be interesting times here in the old <laughs> old us of a um speaking of which so so i asked you if you wanted to talk about the I don't know how do we characterize this I guess the discussion of the weekend um for lack of a better term in the NBA which is several NBA players um notable among them Kyrie Irving I think Carmelo also got mentioned um Dwight Howard um some other ones have spoken up and you know basically the gist is maybe we shouldn't be rushing back to play and you said yeah we could touch on it for a little bit and I I feel like so how about this? I, can I can I open with two different quotes from two different players? Sure. Because um, I found this just to be interesting and an interesting way of framing it. And we again, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but I did. I don't. I don't know how you have a conversation about any NBA team without at least touching on this. So let's just talk about it quickly. So this is from Austin Rivers, trying to find the connection, or excuse me, the correlation. Us coming back would be putting money in our players' pockets. Um, with the money, you could help out even more people and continue to give, more importantly, your time and energy towards the Black Lives Matter movement, which I'm 100% on board with because change needs to happen and injustice has been going on too long. But also, not to mention there are plenty of NBA players I know who need them paychecks, 99% of the NBA hasn't made the money that a guy like Kyrie has. Not to mention NBA basketball is predominantly African-American and a lot of our audiences too. Us providing entertainment and, and hope for kids is important. Also keeping some some kids indoors and watching basketball games on TV instead of maybe going out and getting into trouble due to the unfair and unequal environments 
a lot of African-American kids are placed in is important, too. Not saying basketball is a cure for that. Basketball can provide a distraction. On another note, not to mention the ramifications of not playing with the TV money, et cetera, CBA, et cetera, would really put NBA basketball behind, possibly even canceling next year. I love Kyrie's passion towards this movement. It's admirable and inspiring. I'm with it, but in the but in the right way and not at the cost of the whole NBA and players' careers. We can do both. We can play and we can help change the way black lives are lived. I think we have, I think we have to, but canceling or boycotting a return, uh, a return doesn't do that. In my opinion, guys want to play and provide and help change. That was Austin Rivers. Now Lou Williams, a tweet. So it's shorter. Y'all stop trying to tell me how to do my job. You never did. If we had a game today and you leave a protest to watch it, that's a distraction. Any questions? And then he, Goes on to say something negative about Bleacher Report, who apparently misquoted him. Here's my my thing, and Jeremy, I'm really curious to hear your take on this because very usually I, I have a good sense of like my internal clock of whether I'm in the right or or like I basically the way I'll, I'll say this is I don't know if my if my thinking is valid on this or if maybe there's a blind spot. So here goes. I get what Kyrie and that consensus of players is saying because there is still a huge contingent of this country that looks at a black man and sees someone that should best be dribbling a ball or throwing a ball that is indisputable and it's wrong and until that changes we will never make progress and i think that's part of what this whole movement is about is seeing everybody as equals and not as predisposed to, oh, you know, you are this colored skin, thus you must be a criminal. Or if you're not doing something wrong, you, you know, you must be an athlete. That's what we need to get away from. And I think, I don't know this, but I think part of the whole gist of, you know, Kyrie even said systemic racism and let down with that shit. I think there is some of that in the players thinking, like, if we go back to normal, we're just giving in to the consensus of this is what we are. This is what we're supposed to do. That's one side. On the other side, I see a group of people that have a platform because of the sport that they play to a certain extent, not fully, but to a certain extent. And I wonder, is the most change going to come from them maintaining that platform and thoughtfully using that platform? Again, I want to preface this by saying every white person has a blind spot or multiple blind spots where people that are not their race are are concerned. And I'm wondering if I'm missing something here. And obviously you're white too. So maybe you can't tell me, but that question that I just posed is a question I'm asking myself. And then the last part of this, and I'll turn it over to you is this idea. And I tweeted about this because the guys who are speaking up about this by and large have made a vast, 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 vast sum of money in their careers. Um, I am personally of the belief that every issue that has to do with race in this country, whether it be education disparity, housing disparity, uh, prison system disparity, the way cops handle uh, people disparity, all of the disparities, I believe they come back to one thing, and that's money. And is it? And it comes back to income disparity. And there are systems in place that perpetuate that income disparity between black and 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 white, and those need to change. And I, there is something. There is something that does not sit right with me with the idea of the of the of trusting that the players who make the most are speaking on behalf of the players who make the least and have the most to lose. Because, again, there's a lot of guys in the NBA that are only going to play two, three, four years and make a minimum salary. So I guess I would just, you know, I feel more comfortable if I knew that those voices were being heard and echoed in the sentiments that are being expressed. That's my piece that I wanted to say. Um, I will now turn it over to you to express any thoughts that you have. So I want to say it was about Tuesday. I was texting back and forth with a friend and everything seemed like it was good to go with the NBA. And he asked me, he's a Hawks fan. So both of our teams are obviously not participating in, in Orlando. And he said, how do you feel about them returning to play? And I said, you know, on one hand, I'm really excited just because I miss basketball. I'm really glad to see it back. On the other hand, it feels gladiatorial. And at that point, I meant more from a COVID standpoint. And of course, Florida, 
other states as well that are more in the Sun Belt. I mean, Florida's obviously not, but there's it's a hot state. Um, they're seeing an extreme rise in COVID, but this, of course, this movement or what's going on right now with the players, uh, at least a large segment of them, is not COVID-related, of course. Um, it got me thinking, you know, uh, it's unfortunate to me that the players are quarreling about this, if, if you want to use that word. Well, I, th- I think it's a fair word to use. But yeah, yeah. Well, the, the way I look at it is I- I'm truly torn because from a social justice standpoint, I think that Kyrie, and granted, of course, it's not just Kyrie. Uh, and I think that what Woj tweeted was full of shit and it was a really fucked up thing to do. Just calling him Kyrie the disruptor. It's look, we can we can say that Kyrie's a really mercurial player or a kooky guy, but I think painting him as this uh, this person who's basically the reason why basketball can't continue when I, I see a lot of righteousness in terms of what he's able to do positively. I, I see that they have the nation, at least the sports nation, by the balls in a lot of ways. And I'm very concerned that this idea of, hey, well, we can have a positive platform and create a distraction. Yeah, you can, but isn't that the point? Isn't creating a distraction the biggest issue right now with what Kyrie and the other players, like Avery Bradley, who also has not made a whole lot of money. Um, and a big thing that I'd heard was, well, Kyrie doesn't care because the Nets aren't going where going anywhere. Well, Avery Bradley is with the Lakers. They're the best team in the West. And Dwight also with the Lakers. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Dwight Howard has made money in the past, but the point still being uh, in Carmelo, of course, too. But but still, this is this is an example of a player who has not made such an outrageous amount of money that he's comfortable enough sacrificing it for others. Maybe he's speaking on behalf of other players who have not gotten paid quite a bit of money, but want to support their cause. You know, so that all that all matters quite a bit. But then I think about what Austin Rivers says. And actually, before I go to that point, I want to say one more thing. Austin Rivers, as you said in your quote, he talked about how, hey, you know, if we play, we make more money, which we can help other people with. And he's not wrong. It's just unfortunate to me that the players have to be the ones in the position to help rectify those causes and yeah. and improve areas when really it's the system. The, the players are just are results of getting paid. They're very fortunate. It shouldn't be up to them. It shouldn't be on exactly. them. Exactly. Right. Um, but then to go to his points, you know, competition's important, obviously. I, I think that people are probably, depending on if your team wins the championship, people are going to say there's an asterisk here because it's just such an unusual season where there's no home court advantage and you've got this play-in tournament and everything's just very odd. But he makes a good point with the CBA. And for those maybe who aren't following as closely, or maybe you are, the CBA can be ripped up by the NBA. The NBPA does not have permission to strike, but there is an opt-out clause where the NBA can can create a new CBA. And this kind of goes to my larger point, which is I really resent what owners have done to the players. The owners essentially, and I know they couldn't have necessarily forecasted that this is what some of the players want in terms of not playing because of um, the racial tension and, and everything that's going on, and rightfully so. But the owners essentially, and with Chris Paul and LeBron included to a degree, and Adam Silver and whatnot, they kind of rammed this thing through, right? I mean, we had 30 owners voting, 29 said, yes, let's do it, let's keep playing. And the one team that didn't, the Portland Trailblazers, they did it, I believe, because they liked other ideas on the yeah. table. They still wanted to play. But it wasn't like, hey, there's a serious health issue or, hey, there's um, there's systemic racism that we should tackle first. It was very much let's get this done. Let's let's ram it through. And that bothers me because it now puts the players in a very uncomfortable spot where they're the ones who are essentially blamed for not playing when the owners who are sitting up in their sky boxes or in some owners cases, I guess they'd normally be watching from below. Um, they're billionaires and multi multimillionaires. And. It's just a really shitty thing that their power has essentially uh, – it's taken any sort of power that the players have had, at least those that don't want to play, out of their hands or making them look bad because it's like, hey, we agreed to this. We, The NBPA, you guys agreed to this. Everyone, we should be on the same page. And it's like, look, this whole voting happened and you're – I look at almost like Congress, right? I mean, of course, there's politics involved, but you've got one house that's – very different from the other house, perhaps. And it just things aren't mingling well. So 
that's the thing. I, I'm I'm very torn because I think the players could get absolutely screwed by this financially oh, if they don't play. Yeah, because they can. that tearing up of the CBA, where the owners will then take a larger chunk of revenue, and the the players association has nothing to do. They can't really do much about it because, again, they don't have the right to strike this year. That's it's they're just simply not allowed to. So, I guess to sum it all up. I, I really I'm torn between the two. I completely understand what Kyrie's saying and the other players, of course, as well uh, on his side. And I see what Avery or excuse me, what Austin Rivers and LeBron James, all these other guys are saying. But I think we really just have to blame the owners here. At least that's that's the way I look at it, where it's just wrong that the players have to be even in the position to do this infighting. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's well said. Um, I, I don't have anything to add. I, I just. I think this is an important conversation. And the thing that you said about Woj is important. God, you know, it's not a conversation for today, but throughout the, well, we're going to hit on the Dolan thing next. Um, And I think the two things are related because I think there, there are so many conversations about the media and the power of the media and improprieties. Um, and what defines an impropriety? Like Woj knew, like everything Woj said in his story, and it wasn't just a tweet. If you open the story, he highlights Kyrie, and he knew exactly the light that this would paint Kyrie in by quoting him, or not quoting him, but saying he asked about like the availability of um, essentially pampering for the players, and like an adult beverage was mentioned. Like, can we get this thing in the bubble? He knew exactly the light. He knew what he was doing. Now, is anyone going to call out Woj and be like, you were lying? That didn't happen? No, because that's, it's, no, it, it, I'm sure it did. But God, the power that Woj has to put out that story and paint Kyrie in that light, much like, and this could maybe is a good transition to the power that, you know, Brian Windhorse had when he, again, do I, do, I, I know you don't think, do, do we, does anybody think Brian Windhorse is lying that he, you know, I, I personally don't when he said last week that like basically the reputation of the Knicks is shit because of, of what Dolan has done at the same time, you know, it's like it, he, he knew what that would do and was it, it I don't, you, you see what I'm getting, I'm getting at with this. Yeah. And, and this, I'll, I'll, I'll hand it back over to you because you said you had a disagreement on the Dolan thing. Uh, from how I came out with it. So I'll, I will once again turn the turn the floor over to you, Jeremy. <laughs> so I'll preface this by saying, as I've said all along, I think it's a ridiculously dumb thing, not just from a PR standpoint, but just generally not for, for Dolan not to have released a statement. That should have been the clearest thing. It's not about Dolan. It's about the people who are mostly affected by this. And I would understand why people are hurt by it. With that said, uh, no, I don't think Windhorse is lying at all. I also think that it's very easy to embellish situations. Um, but look, I'll, I'll be candid here. Um, I think that you can certainly say that Dolan is in the wrong in various reasons, for various reasons. You can also point out that other people are just as much to blame, and yet nothing is really said. And because of Dolan's reputation, because of the market that he's in, it's become more problematic. Um, Bob Myers basically said, I mean, he didn't say all lives matter, so I don't want to make it seem like that, obviously. But his, he commented about something and was saying how essentially sports is colorblind. And that is problematic. And I, I actually tweeted about this because it's like, yeah. Incredible. You're, you're telling me that the Negro Leagues were just created because it's like, oh, yeah, just for fun. No, it's because people of color weren't allowed in the MLB. And then you have Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier and you then start to see other players. And then, I mean, John, do you know how long it took for all 30 teams? Or excuse me, not all 30 because there were not 30 teams at the time. But do you know how long it took for every single team in the MLB to have at least one black player? In Major League Baseball? Right, from 1947 until when? Do you know when that when it was? Um, I'm going to take a it, – it's going to be a guess. Um, sure. Hmm. First number that came to my mind was 1961 or 1962, but I feel like it might be late 50s. What's the answer? It's 59. And 59. it was the Red Sox. There you go. Uh, shocker. Right. Fuck the Red Sox. Anyways, so <laughs> the the point here, <laughs> I guess you could say, is, look, I mean, again, there are tons of terrible owners here. 
the problem is, and there, and, and there are executives who say wrong things, but the point here is that it's like, okay, well, Bob Myers says this and no one bats an eye. And yet Dolan comes out with, with PR the next day or so. And it's like, okay, well, I can't believe he didn't say this. And it's like, well, you wanted him to release something. He did. Now you're critiquing the content. And I think what we have to come to an understanding is that there's no, yes, from a PR standpoint, I completely understand why you do it. As I just said, not even two minutes ago. But here's the thing. We need to stop this, this incredible focus on words by rich white people. It, it shouldn't, we shouldn't have that much power over it. Maybe the, the one thing that Dolan said in those emails I thought was perfectly said, which was that we're not experts on this subject. And he's totally right. And yes, it's not hard at all to just say, hey, Black Lives Matter, we stand with the people who are for it. Because in my mind, you're either for it or against it. There's really not much of an in-between. And if you're not for it, then you're against it. So for Dolan, though, it's like, well, yes, he should have said something. But he's also right in that he should not be a voice of reason. And the sooner that we understand in this society that that people who have already, which I believe is is somewhat unethical, and I know others would disagree, um, but such an, an insane accumulation of wealth which is inherently immoral, that these people should not be the poster children or poster adults, whatever you want to call it, but for speaking out why are, injustices. But why are we living – we cannot live in a world as it should be. We must live in the world as it is, and the world as it is – Rich white men have an immense amount of power and their words have an immense amount of power. And then when they don't use those words to say certain things, that has an immense amount of power, of which is, and that's, you know, which is the problem it's not, here. It's not excusing him. It's looking at everything as a whole. And, and you're saying the world as it yeah. is and not as it should be. But we're trying to shape the world as it should be by by doing more to correct the mistakes. I, and and like, like, here's the thing, right? To me, I don't really understand the fact that um, that the owner of the Nets, Joseph Tsai, um, should be able to not should be able to. But it's strange to me that he can say I'm in favor of black lives, which I agree with, obviously, and then be so harsh in regards to what's going on in China and Hong Kong or the fact that we can look at other owners like, say, Toman Fertitta, who is very close with Trump and any statement that is released, which is not coming directly from him to begin with, does that reflect the company's views? Does that reflect Fertitta's views? Does that? But but then where is the blurred line? Because at a certain point, he has an effect on that. Or you know, uh, Damian Lillard had a song that came out right, and he it was a very well done song. He, he spoke really well, and he was talking about you know if you're if you're if you're not saying anything, then you're essentially racist, and I would agree with that. But here's the thing, though, or at least if you're right. So if you're James Dolan, right, you're not saying anything, then sure, you're on that side. I also consider the fact that there's also a fundamental difference between how a lot of the players operate and think versus the owners, where you could look at uh, Paul Allen recently, or I guess not so recently, deceased owner of the Trailblazers. He was heavily into donating to the GOP cause. And look, I, I understand that. Not everyone who listens to this is going to think like me. So I'm just going to be candid when I say this. He donated to a party that in a lot of ways has contributed to voter suppression and affecting how people of color, specifically black people just saw it in Georgia, are able to vote. But you're you're getting into politics, though. And no, but that has to be a line where it intersects. And I think this is this is a point where it has to. And I think. well, hold on one second, because we listen, we can make this a, a whole political discussion about all of the different owners and their different interests and where their money goes and what they support and all of that shit. I don't think that the Dolan statement thing, and I think what Reggie Bullock said was proof of this, not Reggie Bullock, um, God, Ronnie Brewer, um, I, just because I just read a tweet about Reggie Bullock. Um, <laughs> he's, on, he's on my mind. Yeah, Ronnie Brewer. I think what he said is proof of this. This, this is purely about what your players on your team, if they feel you have their back or not. And that's why, to me, there's three separate issues here. There are the grander political issues, which you could talk about for weeks on end. There are the PR issues, which is very much a PR thing. And I think 
that was proof that nobody needed, which is that James Dolan is worse at his own PR than any of the other owners in the league. And it's not even close. And then, and then there's a third thing, which is just saying the thing that is going to make people in your building that work from you, that, that work for you, that collect a paycheck from you. Um, I know it's not him individually. It's the Madison Square Garden Corporation, whatever the hell, you know, but like you get the point. Making them feel okay, making them feel good about the fact that they come to work every day um, or when they hey, do come back to work. I'm with it. I, I completely agree. And that's why I've said, as I've said before, I'll repeat it again. They should have released a statement from the get-go. The thing here that is a little surprising to me is that the Reinsdorf family can interview not a single black person or, or person of color for leading the bulls. And it's like, oh, you know, the undefeated talks about it, but it's not a huge deal. And then they go out and they hire someone who, again, could very easily be talented. I don't know for sure. None of us does because we don't have that intricate view of how the Sixers operate or how the Raptors operated. But then they kind of hired it to cover their asses. And yet this story about PR with words, when actions mean so much more and speak so much louder than words, is suddenly met with, you know, someone like Pablo Torre saying, hey, Joel, James Dolan, I've got three words for you. The yes. Three tired words we've heard over and over again, which he's not going to do, is sell the team. There are instances of, I mean, the Knicks as a whole, we can talk about the fact that they've hired more black executives probably than any other team. And that doesn't make Dolan not racist, right? But it still goes to show that he's giving people opportunities where, where they simply don't have them. And yes, you could say, well, by hiring more people who are black, that gives you a greater reason to release a, a, something with PR because it's then telling a, a larger community, hey, I'm with you. And I say yes. Agreed. But again, it's like if you feel like PR just releasing it and dumping it and say, great, we did it. Problem solved is something that can fix all of this. Then I'm just not with it. I, I just don't see it as such. So, yeah, should have released it. But again, you got to look at the bigger picture here, which is like the Mavs really, really such a shitty thing in terms of their PR recruit. But, hey, they did it. So it seems like it's all swept under the rug. And, you know, granted, Cuban was was protesting. He's been vocal. I appreciate all that. He's got his own shit that he has failed to take care of, which, again, it feels like people also don't really talk about that quite much. Uh, because the bottom line is people like him. He's a likable right. guy. He talks to people. Right. We know we know that. And nobody likes right. James Dolan because he's just, a curmudgeon little man. To tie all of this together, and I'll, I'll end at this and give it back to you. Windhorse, the PR, how people are feeling, players specifically, all of these things. None of it really matters as long as the team isn't winning. Think about it. If the Knicks uh, are in a better chick, position, ch- chicken or the egg, though, Jeremy, come on. But not really, though, because if you if you still draft well and build internally, and you seem promising, like you're telling me that if the Knicks had a Zion type player in the building and they seem like a really exciting thing, that this would be that much different. Look, I, I think that the fact that the Knicks don't have the level of talent that they do is a problem. But I don't think that the reputation – I don't think that if there's a winning situation – I tweet about this as such. If the Knicks – not if. When the Knicks find themselves <laughs> in a position – There's that positivity. Break, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to happen eventually, right? I mean it, it has to. Uh, I mean maybe the world ends before this me, it happens. This is me knocking on wood. Right. But you know, it's the sort of thing where when the Knicks do have the framework of a good team, I don't see players, if they have the opportunity to link up and, and make something that's even better – possibly great. I don't see them saying, you know, we considered it. We really want to do it. But then we considered who's signing our paychecks and we just decided no. I don't see that being the case, which is why, if anything, this this uh, Schwinn tweeted or at least told me about it. And I, I, I agree. It, it puts a greater emphasis on, OK, great. So you've soiled part of free agency, especially in a summer where there really aren't any stars to begin with. And you have a lot of cap space and flexibility and you want to build internally, hopefully, to to start. So if this gets washed away, if people – because people do have very short attention spans, which then ties back into the argument of should players play or not because I really do think that if they if they do play – again, I see both sides of that argument. But if they do play, we're, we're going to lose focus of the main argument that the players are talking about in terms of racial inequality. 
it's just people have short attention spans. And that's the thing with Dolan where it seems like, yes, every time he keeps doing something that's mm. dumb and reminds us of how dumb he can be, it's a still point of if you start winning, it solves all your problems. I know that we both shared this in the past. You know, winning solves everything. It so does. you just got to start somewhere. And if it's not free agency, you explore your other angles. And then maybe when the time comes, you explore it again and things are different. I'm just really looking forward to the day where we don't have to have this conversation with, with, with like about like, well, could have been a lot worse. Um, like, yep. but there's this other thing that mitigates the terribleness of the, like, it would just, it would be nice once in our collective yeah. lives if we didn't have to have this discussion, the discussion about is this as terrible as some are making it out to be, or is it only a little bit terrible? Yeah, um, I'm sure that looking back, we'll say, I can't believe that, you know, some of us went to war defending a billionaire who doesn't know we exist and wouldn't uh, care otherwise. And it's, you know, it's it's just the position we're in right now. It is. Um, okay. We've, we've, um, we talked for, for, longer about these two topics than we probably should have. Um, we do have uh, some Knicks points to hit. The Knicks made a hire on um, when did this get announced? Did it get announced Friday? Or my Friday. Friday, yeah. Uh, so Alex Klein. Alex Klein, who I'm not quite old enough to be his dad. Um, I don't know. When when do boys hit hit puberty? This is, we're getting off, off track a little bit, but I what, like Were you 12? 11 years old when you had Alex Klein? Oh god. Okay. Yeah. Um I don't know. I'm we're, f- we're getting into a scout with Brian territory. I'm not sure if <laughs> you have followed that interesting for those of you who I don't f- I do not listen. I do I do not partake. I you know, no. It's like honestly, it's like watching a car crash. I can't look away and that is why yeah, I get to no, So I'm, for those of you who are not aware of what I'm saying, uh, no, let's just make let's game. leave them. It's a, it's a Carl Malone type of take because it's about Carl Malone uh, and it's not appropriate. So you can find out for yourself. Uh, un- unsubscribe. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he's young. He's 26. He's, he's had, um, I, I guess you'd kind of describe it as a, a bit of a meteoric rise. He, um, sad story, actually. His, his mom passed away from cancer when he was, uh, young and, um, when he was 16 years old, he started a basketball tournament in her honor. Um, around, I think at the same age, he started a website, um, kind of a, as best as I could tell, a way to connect uh, recruits with college coaches. Um, he basically figured out, like, you know, I'm a kid. I can't get in with guys at the pro level or the college level, but I can get in with guys at the high school level. And that's what he did. Um to the point that um, the Pelicans hired him seemingly essentially straight out of college. Um, and he's been there for the last four years and now he's with the Knicks. Um, I'm spoiling my newsletter for Monday, but I'll, I'll say it. I like this. This is the higher, like the day that I ranted about uh, Scott Perry being retained to you. This is why I ranted because I'm like, I want a kid like this. I want them to go hire some whiz kid um, that nobody knows about to come in and do, you know, kind of some new age shit. That is, I'm not nearly smart enough to understand. Um, And they went out and hired a whiz kid. He's obviously not old enough or experienced enough to be a general manager of basketball team, but I think it's progress. Um, That said, the interesting thing that I think about this is that. You know, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not getting the impression that Alex Klein is like one of these nerd stat analytics, you know, guys that is is all about that kind of aspect of these up and coming new like, you know, MIT-esque, um, you know, breed of, of people that are infiltrating front offices across the sports world. He very much strikes me more as like, a young Leon Rose, um, obviously he's not an agent, but again, it, just making connections. He connected with these, pl- all these different players at the basketball tournament. He started, he's, he's connected with players through his website. Um, everybody seems to like him. Um, so I, I think that's interesting. Um, and a little different and I'm, you know, I'm excited about it. What, what was your impression of the hire? Yeah, you said it, John connections. I look at this as a, a more improved approach than what Steve Mills and Scott Perry did. And what they did was it's a low bar. Pretty yes. But no in offense. terms of um, the concept of it, they yeah. said, hey, we know Kevin Durant's gonna be a free agent. 
we want to go after him. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to hire a bunch of people and bring on people that he has a connection with and they can rave about New York and try to sell it to him and bring him in. And it didn't work. But here's the thing. With, with Alex Klein, the difference here is that you are connecting not just with one player, but with a multitude of players that he's come into contact with and had good relationships with in the past, holding that over. So I think it's, it's better because it's a wider approach. I mean, also, it's not quite the same position where you're not relying solely on, um, on, on, artif- on superficial substances. It's actual substance where you're able to try to get more improved talent uh, in the building and by town, I mean more in the front office. And yeah. so I love what he's able to do, or at least conceptually, I love why he's brought him in. I, I am very curious as to what his eye is for talent and what his role will be with that. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I was very curious about, and I actually tweeted about this is that a couple months ago, Oh my God, I saw someone, <laughs> someone wrote, to Stefan Bond. How did you hold on? Wait, hold on. I have to before you tell the story, did you have that like saved or did you just remember the name? Like, how did you come upon this? So after it happened, I after was doing after the internet, hire happened. Right, after okay. the hire. Um or at least as, as it was announced by Vork, I want to say. Yes, um, reported it. There was some sleuthing that goes on, like usual. I try to do some background research and I found some interesting articles about him and they've been widely shared. But then I, I was very curious because I'm trying to figure out how all of this ties together. Because here's the thing. There, this is a 26 year old kid who has a very impressive resume without a doubt. Kid, but, he's your age. Jesus. Well, he's Christ. older than me. I know. But I, you know, I could say that someone is, especially from less from a basketball standpoint, but from a, a professional basketball standpoint, and by that, I mean, not like, but not playing on the court because if you're 26 and you're on the court, you're, you're practically middle aged. Hold on, um, you can't call someone a kid who's older than you. I'm putting my foot down. I, right. I apologize uh, on behalf of you to Alex Klein. Alex, if you're listening to this, Jeremy means no offense. Continue, please. So again, Alex is a very accomplished individual, and everything you said in the articles that highlight that say as such. I also know, if we're being realistic, that this is a world of we just said it connections, and I'm very curious as to how. Alex Klein might know people within the organization. So I did some, I I first looked at Instagram. There's a very interesting um, image of him with John Calipari. And it basically said how he was happy. He was able to tell the story to to Cal. Now, I mean, you could say, look, I mean, come on, it's a bit of a stretch. I think one photo doesn't mean a relationship. And I would agree. Um, I think it's also interesting though, that you have to consider the fact that um, Leon Rose and John Calipari are very close. Okay. Whatever. Another photo with Carmelo Anthony. Okay, whatever. Uh, a Nick Scout, I believe it was um, Mubarak NDI um, with him. Okay, whatever. It's just it's just a lot of random coincidences. Fine. Uh, or the fact, hey, both are from Jersey. Both have kind of operated in the Philly scene. Leon Rose is from Cherry Hill, which is right next to Jersey. There's a lot going on here where I thought, okay, maybe there's some possible connections. Uh, we were thinking maybe that Leon Rose he went to. He went to Drexel and fucking, we fucking up, Sherlock Holmes over here. My God. Well, that's not alone, right? I got to give credit to Vivek and to Chris and, um, and anyone else that I'm forgetting with KFS where we're talking about this in the Slack channel. And uh, we're, we're trying to put pieces together here. And then we found out that they went to law school, maybe not together because we can't identify the years, but they're both alumni of, of Drexel for law. So wait, who, who's alumni from Drexel for law? Alex Klein's father and Leon Rose. So there's a lot going on here, right? A ton. But anyways, I was then curious because I saw Calipari and Mello and I thought Leon Rose. Well, what about Tibbs, right? Because we know Tibbs is considered, at least from the media's perspective, as a front runner. So I thought maybe there's some relationship. And uh, I, I searched for Alex Klein and Tom Thibodeau. And lo and behold, I managed to stumble upon an article written by Bondi two months ago. And it was when he did a mailbag and someone said, I was wondering what you felt the timeline may be for the Knicks to begin making front office moves. It was interesting seeing Chicago make a quick, a few quick moves. And it was an email from an Alex Klein. And I just thought, you know, I know it's a big world out there, but this is, this is kind of, what are the odds that this email is sent and then two months later, it was actually two months to the day where the letter with the uh, the article was published and the report came out. 
wherein Alex Klein is hired to the Knicks front office. This is the this is the podcast version of the Zapruder film. Um, yeah, what you what you I, just I, laid out. I just I I would love to know, and not because I it, it, it bothers me. I just I would just be so fascinated uh, to know if that's how it it all transpired. And obviously, uh, it didn't. <laughs> I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I follow <laughs> I, I followed Alex Klein after he was tired, and he and he followed me back, and I sent him a a message congratulating him, um, also offering. Um, my assistance, if he needs to know where to get uh, good pizza in the city. Um, well, Sbarro's right outside MSG. Yeah, of, of course. course. Yes, obviously Sbarro's. Um, and he, he said, you know, he responded. Thank you. He appreciated it. Um, I will ask him. I will ask him, Mr. Klein, did you re- email uh, the uh, New York Daily News beat writer Stephen Bondi asking about when the front office is uh, going to be making hires? And if he doesn't immediately unfollow and block me, I would be <laughs> utterly shocked. Um, but well, I'm going to do it anyway because I love you. I look and, at it. Yeah. I look at it this way: he either says yes and uh, I'm validated, or he says no, and I say, "Well, of course he's going to say no. Why would he say yes?" So either way, I I'm still going to just. Can you imagine if he said yes? Yes, that I would, was me. I would I would respect it so much <laughs> because it just goes to show that he's able to get out there. And someone pointed out. That um, maybe this is Dolan, or not Dolan, excuse me, maybe this is Leon Rose trying to find out leaking information and seeing who can be trusted and what. I, I thought that was a very uh, maybe, fun way of thinking about it. Maybe who Leon knows? Rose was writing using Alex Klein as a, as a fake name to try to get us to put these pieces together all these wow. months later. That's nom de plume. What if, what if Leon Rose is actually, what if Alex Klein is actually Leon Rose? Do, have we have we seen both of them in the same room at the same time? I haven't. Have you? I, I I'm. I mean, maybe Leon Rose is. Um, oh, I mean, we don't even know what Brock Aller looks like. There's so much. There's so well, much that's mystery. that's real. Um, because um, yeah, there are no pictures that exist of him. What if Brock Aller isn't a real person, but is instead just um, an acronym for an incredibly advanced uh, computer that can calculate salary cap? Have we considered this? Um, we haven't. We probably should. Um, hey, I'm on board. <laughs> God. <laughs> I'm not uh, like Charlie Day, just trying to figure out in, in conspiracy theories. Either, me, either, either Alex Klein or uh, Brock Aller is Kaiser Soze. Um, let's move on. <laughs> As we've been talking, I'm very excited, and this is a good transition to our last, uh, our last point um, or our last topic of discussion. So I wrote for SI this weekend, um, if the Knicks uh, open up a roster spot, uh, here are five players that um, they would or they should consider signing with that open roster spot. Um, and of course, <laughs> of course, I included Lance Thomas on the list just because I <laughs> wanted uh, a dozen or so people to respond with, hey, you fucking idiot. Um, we're not going to sign Lance Thomas again. So everybody who took the time to write that or some version of that, thank you. Um, Lance Thomas, I love you and I always will. Um, but anyway, one of the players I mentioned was Shamari Pons. And sure enough, as we're just talking now, Shamari Pons liked the uh, tweet promoting the article. Nice. Yeah, here you go. So St. John's product. So maybe uh, maybe something's in the works there. Um, more importantly, um, the Knicks, along with the other 29 teams in the league, uh, in, well, I guess a week from when you're listening to this, we'll have the opportunity to make transactions. Um, my understanding of this is that the, the eight teams that are done can essentially can, can waive anybody they want from their roster to open up roster spots. Is that how you took this from reading what you've read? I think so. I'm, if I'm being honest, I'm a little unclear just because nothing feels airtight to begin with. <laughs> I don't think they, but, maybe they haven't decided yet. <laughs> they're probably just, it's like 3 a.m. They're like, oh, we'll just, we'll just make roster spots, so, you yeah. know, fill those that way. I, I guess any player who's on an active roster or not anymore can join. Like, well, no, that much I think we know is, is who, who's eligible. I think we know is, is anybody who's on, a roster, an NBA roster or a G League roster at any point this year. And then I th- okay. there wasn't there the thing that if you were on 
an NBA roster in the last two years than the team that you were on two years ago could sign you, which is how I guess Crawford could get signed by the um, who the fuck who was he Jamal Crawford who was he on last year whatever was he on the Suns may uh maybe I don't know I, whatever the point is there is a select you can't just go and sign anyone that much we we know um the person had to have been on an NBA roster or G League roster what I'm more unclear about is like. Because usually, once a team season is over, so normal conditions, the Knicks season would have ended on April 15th. On April 16th, as far as I know, they would have been able on that day to, you know, uh, renounce, I guess, the rights to, like, Mo Harkless, for instance, and use that roster spot to sign whomever or swing a trade with another, like, whatever. They, They could have done that. I think that's how it would work now. Um and we haven't gotten any reporting to specify it. So that's what I'm going with. Um, the, the question of the hour is, do we think that they will actually open up a roster spot? Um, my suspicion, despite the fact that I wrote this article this weekend, is that they will not. And I think they will go into the proposed offseason, um, I don't know, activities, so, summer camp, I don't know what you want to call it, um, for the eight have-nots, which are going to be like what is it it's OTAs it's like a a a work like it's there's three different things that are scheduled to to occur before training camp for next season opens um that the eight teams that are not invited back to Orlando will will be able to avail themselves to i think they're going to bring their entire roster to all of those events and then make their decisions about who they want back and who they don't. And my suspicion that they, the reason that they will do that is because I think they want to give the new head coach, whoever that may be a chance to basically look at everybody. Um, That's my suspicion. What do you think? I think that if a player has an opportunity lined up that they'll consider waiving them as a, as a favor to the player. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking of someone like Bobby Portis who, I think everyone in the room knows that Bobby Portis' option is not getting picked up. And he could be looking at this as like, look, I've only been really on bad teams, right? At least in the last few years, he's been on bad teams. So if you're, if you're Portis and you have a chance, let's say some team needs a big man, right? Like we just saw LaMarcus Aldridge go down. So they could easily just uh, have Jakob Pearl go in his place. Wait, wait, hold on. You're suggesting that if Bobby Portis got cut tomorrow or let's say in a week from now that the Spurs would be able to pick him up for this season? No, isn't it? Isn't that the case where you're able to, you're I able don't, to just, I mean that we don't know for sure. But I thought it was how, essentially just waving the player. I mean, because their season's done, right? So his contract should be off the books, even though the, the money hasn't rolled off. I mean, they would just effectively be declining his team option for next year. Yes, so but by, if they if they decline his team option for next year, I don't think that makes Bobby Portis eligible to be. Because think about it, in in years past, no that that in that can't be. Because think about it, even though this every year once a team season is over, they can like renounce guys or cut guys or whatever or make trade all that shit. Like a playoff team has to have their roster finalized by a certain date. But I guess now... But that's the thing. It's different. Now there, it doesn't have up. to be final. Wow. No, that can't possibly be But then the how case. do you, I mean, you can't just use your own G League players to fill spots for... I mean, if a team has, let's say, three really good players who are no longer coming, I, I'm under the impression that you could... Didn't, I thought the NBA was saying, hey, as long as you're essentially on an NBA roster... When at this point you can then join the team if you're oh that would be released. fucking wild if players on the eight teams that aren't invited can advocate for their own I have I you know who would even know this um, the, I don't think they even know this. <laughs> that sounds that sounds absurd though you have to admit it do, of course it does but uh, that's again my my interpretation could be completely off but I I've been operating under the impression it's like okay well if they're if they're not on the if not if they're not on an active roster, then how do they get onto a new roster? Like you know what I'm saying? Like if if a player like J.R. Smith isn't allowed to join because he wasn't on a team to to begin with before, 
then how do you know he, w- he was on wasn't he on the Cavs to start this year right but what i'm saying is the only team that he would then be allowed to sign with is the Cavs, right no and- no 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 you you're you as long as you were on an nba or a g league roster at some point this season or the last two seasons one of the two then any team can okay. sign you to a contract but so then I, what's What's stopping – right, but I guess that's the confusing thing because under normal circumstances, it would be around March 1st where a player has to be cut or bought out and then he can join another team. And, unless maybe we've – so that one of two – I because there's no – there is literally no way that the Knicks could cut Bobby Portis tomorrow and then – because think about that. Every player on an expiring contract would be – advocating for that is on one of the eight non invitees, right. Would be advocating through their agent or whatever, like release my rights. I'm not resigning with you next year. I want to go play in the playoffs with the team. That that would be, that would be a, a, insane. That, there's no way that they could do that. So that either but then the team, the other teams could just say, we don't want this player. And then the player is stuck with, okay, well, I don't want to be released and not join another team. So I, I would rather just stay with my team and work out on OTAs and, and work at the training camp. I'm just, it's not just one domino, right? It's not like, hey, I want to go to another team to so release me. It's another team wants me, and I would like that very much. And let's face it, you're not going to have me back next year. So why don't you let me go here? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anyone on like the eight teams that aren't being invited that's on an expiring contract that a playoff team would definitely want. But I, I just... Look, I can't imagine that would be the case. Let's all right. Put that discussion aside for a second. Let's just say for argument's sake that the Knicks can open up a roster spot, which I do think that it, that they should be able to do. What happens to the player that they extinguish their rights? That's a separate conversation, which maybe we'll find out the answer to. Um, do you think that they would open up a roster spot or do you think that they would bring everybody back for well, these like offseason activities? If we're going off of what we just talked about it. I don't think they would bring anyone back if they're not going to release anyone. Or, I'm sorry, I'm, I don't think they're going to bring a new person in if they plan on keeping all 15 guys. Well, no, but that's my question is, do you think that they would? So it's basically like if they open up a roster spot for a week from now, on, the theory goes, like, let's use Mo Harkless as an example, because Mo Harkless is an unrestricted free agent, right? Mm-hmm. So they could, they could, Release him now, preemptively, and then sign someone, you know, whether it's Lamar Peters or someone else that's available to them, using that roster spot. And the result would be that instead of Mo Harkless going to, you know, offseason OTAs or, you know, midsummer camp or whatever the hell else the NBA has planned for the eight teams that are not being invited down to Orlando to keep them fresh. Instead of Harkless going there, this other player that they would sign and put on the team with that roster spot would go instead. Right. No, I, I don't. I don't think they necessarily would, based on what you were saying with the coaching. I think the coaches would want to have those players in the building, and I think a player like Mo Harkless as well. It's very possible that management might still be very interested in keeping him and. Having his rights, not that it would make a huge factor, but having his bird rights might be important to them, potentially. I, I hope not, because that would mean that I, they I, would plan on paying him a lot Exactly. Of money. I hope not as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm honestly not sure why they would. Because, and I think it's also possible that players, well, it's not like it would, it would be their decision per se, but um, that they would want to unless they're joining that other team, which we're still – at least I certainly am not totally sure about. Yeah. Um, because then they get to work out with the team. They get to stay in shape. There's a, they get to try to get their next, next contract. Yeah. I, I guess it all really depends on what the deal is with rosters for the teams that are invited to Orlando. Because otherwise it's just kind of like, I would rather just stay with the team and, and stay in tip top shape. Well, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure the player would be, but maybe it's not, that's my point is it might not be up to the player. It might be up well, to of course, the team. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And in that case, I mean, it's, 
it's certainly worth trying out. But then, you know, like a Lamar Peters type, right? Is anyone going to necessarily snatch him up in the meantime? Well, that would be my that would be my worry if I were the Knicks. If I was planning on who knows, maybe they planned all along to sign Peters at the end of the season or or convert, you know, Kenny Wooten to a a, a, a regular contract. And really, like, I don't know. We don't know. We have no idea. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. Um, I have a feeling the next week is going to be a very busy one in the league. And because think about this, if they, they're supposed to open this transaction window a week from, from Monday, and yet we're not even sure right now if they're going to like what's happening in Orlando, are they going to play games? Um, and, and you got the whole Knicks coaching thing. Um, by the way, let's end on this. Did, would you, did you make anything of, um, Ian's report that uh, Kenny Atkinson has, how did he put it? Real, real momentum in the, or there's, there's um, legitimate interest. It might've been whatever it was. I love it. Yeah. Ian's way with words <laughs> is, is second, maybe only to, to Woj on like draft night. Um, yeah. It basically the uh, intimation was that uh, there are people within the Knicks who really want to give Kenny Atkinson a chance. Um, I, I don't know. I buy it. Um, yeah, I buy it. Oh, I totally buy it. I, I think it's certainly accurate. I would not be surprised if there are top people in the front office who really are interested in Kenny Atkinson. I also do think that it's a very convenient thing to say if you do plan on hiring Tom Thibodeau, just because it makes it feel like it was a fully drawn out process and you dot all your I's and crossed all your T's. So yes, I, I think it works in two ways. It's, it's the perfect thing to have leaked. And if he gets chosen for the job, then great scoop by Ian. So, yeah. Um, I'll say this: if they do not hire Tom Thibodeau, it's going to it's going to be a very informative lesson on um, believing or not believing what you hear, because man, it's just like everywhere. Everywhere I turn, it's, 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 it's like tips, 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 tips. Um, so we'll see if it does, if it comes to fruition, it comes to fruition. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, I can't, I can't tell what I'm rooting for because as I've said many times, and I know you're not on, on with, with this, um, Atkinson would be my preferred pick by a, by a, by a hair over Tibbs. Um, well, I'm just, I'm the inverse, but it's not like, same as you're not against Thibodeau, I'm not against Atkinson. Yeah. I just think there's a, better candidate you think there's a better candidate honestly the the infighting i see which is playful mostly but it's like hey if we got any of those guys we're we're in far better hands than we were and mike <laughs> miller as long as he's still on the team then it's this is all we win yeah no you, you get your cake and uh, and you get to eat it too um okay i think that's it i think we covered everything um unless i'm forgetting anything jeremy anything i'm, I'm forgetting anything you want to say before we get out of here no, I think I think everything's all good. Uh, I guess if you're in New York, you got to vote soon if you want. So uh, absentee ballots are ending. Your deadline's ending soon. So just keep it in mind. I'll vote that. I'll vote for, for voting. Yeah, vote for, uh, a vote, vote for voting. I voted um, by mail um, for my uh, local school board. And I think it was like the board of the library uh, election. Yeah, um, but there were all, there were three positions and there were only three candidates, so I didn't. My vote didn't really matter. <laughs> um, but yeah, I voted for my my town school board a week ago, and um, I went uh, I went anti-establishment all the way. Um, you know, because I'm 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 an advocate. I'm an advocate for change, if nothing else. Uh, Jeremy, this was fun as always. Um, enjoy. Now you can get out of the bathroom where you've been. Are, are you still in the bathroom recording? I am still in the bathroom. Yeah. For those who don't know, as John says this, um, I, I was expecting to not, I was going to be the only person really in my apartment, but one of my roommates came by and because the mic that I have is really powerful. I then went to the other end of the third roommate's apartment room. Um, and I'm now in the bathroom. 
So I'm I'm ready to not talk on a toilet anymore. As 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 great as this has been. Yeah, listen, you're you're in good company because you know Barry Barry Dworkin, friend of the pod, Barry Dworkin, um, famously recorded uh, an episode of Hard Nick's Life podcast, yes, or, or or maybe multiple episodes, I don't know, <laughs> from his bathroom. So you're you're definitely good company. All right, um, this is fun. Uh, thank you to everybody who uh, joined us for this episode. Um, uh, oh, belatedly, I should have opened the show with this, but belatedly, apologies for the shitty audio of the Ronnie Brewer pod. That was, I mean, listen. He was on a bad phone connection. Uh, it happens, but uh, I was still happy to get get him on. Um, if you wanted to hear that, but you didn't feel like listening to the shitty audio, uh, check out uh, today's newsletter because I included a full transcript of of the conversation in the newsletter. Um, and um, also keep an eye out for uh, an episode later this week. I'm gonna have a very special guest. Who I'm very excited to have on. Um, so yeah. That's it, everybody. Have a great week. Stay safe. Stay inside. Stay away from people. And uh, we'll talk to you later.